of us. So as we look at it today, really what the section that we're getting into really can't be duplicated for us today. But uh, one of the key themes here is redemption. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, we'll get to the second part of the sermon in just a few minutes. But first of all, we're going to look at the Declaration of Boaz. And I want you to read this, maybe read it again later, and think of uh, the language is very heartfelt. It's a deep-feeling speech by Boaz, which only encompasses two verses. But I, I, I want you to get the sense that he's saying this with feeling. Then Boaz said to all the elders and to all the people. So no doubt as uh, they were making this contract, people were coming by and they were stopping to see what was going on. That's a natural uh, a natural way of looking at life. Uh, I remember watching a video one time where uh, this guy was looking in a garbage can and people were walking by and all of a sudden everybody started coming over to look in the garbage cans. <laughs> there was really nothing in it. He was just making a point that people are nosy. But, <laughs> but in, anyway, here are the elders and the people. So there's a crowd that has assembled here. So Boaz says, you are witnesses this day. Ayed is the word for witness, and it can mean two things. One that brings an accusation against somebody, and also somebody who witnesses a legal contract. So Boaz says, and I want you to remember that you are the legal contract of what I'm getting ready to say, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Now, we've looked at this word bought, and I want to remind everybody, no money actually trans, uh, transferred. There was no money. Uh, this is kana, which is the word to take ownership of something. And you remember when the goel, the first goel, turned it down and gave Boaz his shoe, that was symbolic of the fact that he could walk now on the land that belonged to Naomi. So he's, he's saying here, that I have taken this right and this uh, place of ownership. I own now what has uh, been given to me, or not actually given, but from the hand of Naomi, he is now in charge of. But he goes on and he says this, and all that belong to Kilion and Malon. So you remember the story that we looked at. First, Elimelech died. That was some 10 years in. Uh, it was a roughly a 10-year period. Naomi had a rough start. She not only lost her husband, and back way back in chapter 1, I talked about that probably Elimelech really wasn't following Yahweh the way that he should have. Um, and so that wasn't the end of the story. Now, Naomi is an innocent bystander here, I believe, because she's following her husband. But then something else happened. Kilion and Malon both died too. So now you've got a situation where Naomi is really desperate, and we know from there that they moved back to Bethlehem. They went into Bethlehem. Uh, Orpah, she went back. Ruth stayed with Naomi to go in. But uh, So the issue here is, and, and I, I think it's, it's worth noting, the issue here is the lineage. Very important. Heritage is very important uh, in the nation of Israel. He goes on to add, as we read, 
uh, not only did he take from the hand of Naomi the land, but he also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. And when you read this in the original language, you get the sense of this. And I am taking Ruth as my wife. There's a sense in the original Hebrew that this is an exciting time for Boaz. And in essence, not only is he just doing the Goel duty of, okay, I'm going to take over this land, then I'm going to take Ruth, and it's just kind of a nonchalant thing. No, he is very happy about this. And, and it pops off the page here. I have bought her to be my what? My wife. There's going to be a wedding. Whew! Because we've all been excited because when they first met and then the second Goel showed up, everybody's heart sunk, and then he turned it down because of his own heritage. And now back to the story. It would make, make a great movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> make a great movie. By the way, they have made movies about Ruth. There's plenty of them out there. But there's going to be a wedding now. A wedding is going to take place. He's going to take her. This is his motivation. One of the reasons that he did it was he wanted to uh, perpetuate the line. Brothers and sisters, so important. So important. uh, Where uh, Malon could not continue, Boaz is now going to pick it up, and he's going to carry on that line so that the line does not die. He goes on to say, right after that, that the name of the dead may not be cut off. Well, that's a terrible term in Hebrew. Cut off from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place, which was Bethlehem. This is the gate at Bethlehem. Daniel Block is correct when he writes the expression to cut off the name represents one of several expressions annihilating one's honor, reputation, and preventing one's subsequent existence. There was a belief at the time that this was written that if people could not remember your name, you ceased to exist. That's a big deal. Not only that, he had to protect the honor and the reputation of Elimelech who at the time, when he left, was suspect. But he still saw it as important. He still saw this as an important issue. And he says, this is why I'm doing it. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm getting the land, and I get the right to walk on the land. I get that. But I'm also getting Ruth, a godly woman, and I want to help her keep alive that family line. It was important to them. He ends it by saying... You are witnesses, I add, this day. You are witnesses, which confirms the legal contract. Yeah, I wish you could see the original language. And uh, again, when Boaz makes this brief speech, I want you to think of the fact that he is overjoyed. He's saying it with feeling. So it's not like he's just doing his job because he has to. He's doing it because he wants to. And I, I can't help but think that when he looks at Ruth, he sees what a godly woman should be. And of course, we all know Boaz was a godly man. So what happens here? 
while the witnesses respond in 4, 11, and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, now remember the gate, the gate was the official place where business was conducted. Remember Boaz went out and he got 10 elders from the city administrators and the two Goels were there. The second Goel was not mentioned. We know Boaz is the one Goel. The Goel is the redeemer, the, the kinsman re, re, redeemer. So you have here, they're, they're sitting here at, at the gate. And all the people and everybody that was there that was a witness to this pronounced a blessing. They said, first of all, we are witnesses. We agree with the legal contract. We have listened to what you've had to say, and we are witnesses. This is something else, that this cannot be challenged later down the line because you have witnesses. It couldn't be challenged. Wow. That kind of sounds like the word justification in its legal sense. Because once you've been justified in Christ, you can never be tried again. And here, you can't go back and break this. Interesting. Now, notice verse 11. May the Lord... This is awesome. This is, this is crazy awesome. Listen, listen. Remember, Ruth is a Moabite by birth. She's not an Israelite. And by the way, she's the only Gentile uh, woman that uh, one of very few that has a name after her. Now, listen to this. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. Wow. Whoa. So you're mentioning a Moabite woman with Rachel and Leah. Do you guys know about Rachel and Leah? See, when, when we had our third grandchild and I found out it was going to be a girl, I forced Holly, I mean, I, I recommended to Holly, <laughs> I, I highly recommended that she be called Leah. And you, you say, well, why? Let me just show you something. Here's Leah. Here's Rachel. How many tribes of Israel were there? There were 12. Look at little Leah. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun. And from the line of Judah comes down to King David all the way down to Jesus. Look how much Leah, Leah now has, she has one, two, three, four, five, six. Half of the tribes of Israel are descended from Leah. Now, they're saying, may the woman coming into your home be like Leah. That's crazy awesome. Then, not only that, but may she also be like Rachel who produced Joseph and Benjamin. That is eight of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. You know what? I think Rachel's, or not Rachel's, I think um, um, Ruth's reputation of being a godly woman, uh, and that they would, even, they would even make a reference to this. Because these women were, were basically, I mean, and we're going to look at one more line and just, just a second to give you a flavor of this. This is a big deal. But beyond this, 
I think there's another reason why the writer wrote this. This and this. That's a big family, right? May you be like Rachel and Leah who, who laid the foundations for the nation of Israel. May you have a big family. And may they be blessed. Now, he goes on to write here. I wrote woe in my notes. Woe. That's crazy. Now, the writer goes on to write, May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. May you act worthily is two words in the Greek. Asa Hael. I don't often do this, but say it with me. Asa Hael. That can mean three things. It can refer to physical strength. It can refer to a noble character. Or it can refer to being prosperous. I don't like the translation here. Because I think it refers to being prosperous. If you have a large family, you're going to need to be prosperous to take care of that family. So maybe the translation could have been a little different here. And Hubbard, well, let me just do this real, real quick. Uh, I wanted to look at Ruth. You see Ruth and Boaz here. I'm just going to point to them. They have Obed and Jesse, and then Jesse has David and Bathsheba, and you follow the line all the way around, and you come to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Ruth is now included in the lineage of Jesus. Maybe a foretelling of the gospel that will go to the Gentiles, where we will also be grafted in. And in fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, leave your country and I will show you a land and you will be blessed. And people who, who will follow you will be blessed and you will bless others. So there may be this element here. Now listen to this. He says that may you be renowned. May you be renowned. Kahashim. And that can mean either with prosperous and be renowned, or better yet, to name a child or to enjoy fame. It could be either or. And it's tight because it's, it sounds to me like may, may you prosper and may you be famous and recognized. Here's Hubbard's quote. This is his assessment, and I think he's right. The people hope that through a large family, Boaz may prosper in Ephrata. In this context, the otherwise ambiguous idiom, Asahael, to make power, probably means to acquire wealth. And I would probably have a tendency to agree with that. Now this next line... And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. So, I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but if you go look in Genesis chapter 38, you'll find that story. In Genesis 38, Tamar conceived two sons through deception. 
Through this deception, there were two sons, Perez and Zerah. This guy right here, his name means breakout. In the womb, when they were being born, actually pushed himself in front. It's called breaking out. So he got out. But Tamar was like Ruth. That's why he wrote, this is why he wrote this story. Tamar was like Ruth. She was an outsider. She was an outsider. Now, from this, they come to, they're from the house of Judah, which we saw that in the family tree already. But why this is so significant is that Perez had a significant role in Israel, but he is also the ancestor of Boaz. So it is in the bloodline of Boaz about bringing outsiders in. I think, I really do, um, when, when uh, Holly's very active with our, uh, Holly's very active with our family tree and all this, and I, I just think that there's something to this. Now, some could push back and argue, I, I get that, but in my own mind, do you know how many preachers we've had on my side, on the Fraser side? There's been tons of them. And one of them was called the barefoot preacher. And I don't know what his theology was, but it was up in the mountains. But um, it was called the, he's called the barefoot preacher. Matter of fact, I got one uh, Fraser buried over here. It was a Civil War preacher who preached here in Tolono. By the way, there's no, there's no, all other Frasers are like in the South and in West Virginia and Ohio. There's not many, there's no Frasers other than me and the one that's laying over there. Huh? Villa, Villa Grove, thank you. It's in, and I went and I saw his tombstone. I've actually got relatives over there in Villa Grove that I still haven't gotten to yet. But I think there's something to a name. There's something to a lineage. But they, they ultimately pray that the Lord will give you a lot of children. So now the question is, how do we apply this? It's This is on your outline. If you look at your outline, you're going to see three points that are going to pop up. Number one, the meaning for us is, speaking about the Goel and the redemption, the meaning for us is redemption is a legal transaction. In the Old Testament, it was a legal transaction. And in the New Testament, it is also a, lib a legal transaction. And the word redemption, which is used throughout the New Testament, has the same meaning to take ownership or to buy back something which was lost. One of the verses that I love is Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption, we have redemption. Jesus has paid something for us. What he paid for us was the forgiveness of sin. And by this act, by this redemptive act, God brings us into a relationship with himself. When Naomi and Ruth were out here with basically nothing, Boaz acted as the Goel, the Redeemer, and he brings and brings them into his family so that they, he, they become part of his family. This is what Christ did for us. But notice this. 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Ruth and Naomi did nothing to get what they got. We do nothing to get what we get in Jesus Christ. He did it all. He died on the cross to pay for your sin and mine and then forgive us and bring us into the family of God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Aren't you grateful for God's grace? Think about Naomi and Ruth now. I want to try to tie them into this. Think about Naomi and Ruth. They had nothing. The future was very uncertain. Boaz, the Goel redeemer, came in and pulls them and rescues them. How do you think they're feeling now on this side of the fence? Joyful. And I don't know about you, but I remember the day that I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It just felt like something happened. And there was a lifting. And this is exactly the experience this is the experience of God's charis grace. It's something that is given that is not earned, nor do we deserve it, but by his loving kindness, he gives it to us. Secondly, not only is redemption a legal transaction, and I could, I could have thrown in justification, which is highly legal the way Paul used it. Secondly, redemption changes our status. Ruth and Naomi. You remember when Ruth came back that, that morning after staying at the, uh, at the threshing floor? Do you remember when she came back and Naomi rushed to the door and said, How did it go? Are you married or single? She didn't say anything. And then she told her it's going to be settled and they're all on pins and needles. But now, Ruth and Naomi's status have changed. Brothers and sisters, when we come to Christ by way of redemption, our status changes. Colossians 1.9. This word redemption is all over the New Testament. Colossians 1.13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin. Not only does redemption uh, remove our sin, but it changes our status. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We are no longer blind to our own sin. He has awoken our senses, and we have seen the light, so to speak, and he takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son, in whom he loves. Here's the, here's the second part of this. If he loves his son and the son is in us, how does God view us? He views us with the same love. So when he sees us, he sees his son whom we are made in the image of. And wow, just wow. And you think about Naomi and Ruth. They are now brought in, so to speak, into a new status. They're not witness. They're not... Uh, widows anymore they're not without hope anymore by the way 
Sometimes when life hits you, let me just remind us all this morning that there is always hope in Christ. Nobody is ever too far gone and too far without hope that they cannot be redeemed. And by the way, whatever situation you're in today, please be reminded of this. God sees it, he knows, and he's at work. Changes. Redemption is a legal transaction. Redemption changes our status. Here's something interesting that I studied, and I thought, okay, Lord, I have to use it. Redemption provides a new heritage. Redemption provides a new heritage. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think it's a picture here of exactly what happens in the New Testament. Naomi, an Israelite, right? Ruth, a Moabite, not an Israelite, outside of that covenant. Let's look at two lines here. Number one, in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that they might receive adoption as sons. This is target specific to the nation of Israel. It is those who were born under the law. And Jesus saw the floundering of those Israelites and those Hebrews that were under the law that could not get to God. They could not live everything that the law could that the law re- required. God had to come in through Jesus Christ at just the right time and go to the cross so that he fulfilled every letter of the law so that the Israelites could be adopted as sons. Well, that takes care of Naomi. What about us? We were never given the law. I'm not saying the law is bad. It was holy because it was given by God. But that law was not specific for us. We are Gentiles, and if you read the, out, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find out that the Jerusalem council said, okay, Well, we have to treat the Gentiles a little bit differently because they're not like us. But I want you to realize something. When the New Testament ushers in Jesus Christ, it ushers in a new era in how people are brought in to the kingdom of God. So not only the Jews, but now Ruth. A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, only outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. That's what the Jews did on the eighth day. You were circumcised when the circumcision was the cutting of the flesh, was the removal of sin, and it was actually a covenant that they entered with God. Now, Paul here in Romans is saying, no, 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 no. We have a new day now. It's not an outward and physical circumcision. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. A circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Here's the deal. You, when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of the people of God and therefore have a new heritage. We could not be Jewish otherwise. But now you could actually say that you're part of God's people. And who is God's chosen people? The nation of Israel. 
we are, if I could put it this way, we are Ruth. We were outsiders, but God brought us in. And the whole New Testament is about bringing two elements, Israel and Gentiles together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. Redemption is a legal transaction. Redemption changes our status. Redemption provides a new heritage. Do you know that do you know who the father of your faith is? Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. We're from the lineage of Abraham. Abraham was a major player in the Old Testament. So I tell you this morning, you have a new heritage. Your heritage is of the people of God. And that's something that is awesome, that God has done that for us. So let me just say, this morning, That our salvation is secure when we come to Christ. Everything is forgiven. We've been brought into the family of God. So parallels Ruth and Naomi's situation where they were desperate and downcast and really had no place to go. And then God gave them Boaz, the Redeemer. Just like us, we were desperate. We were steeped in sin. We were drowning in sin. But God reached down through Jesus Christ and pulled us out of the mire and gives us a new status, a change of heart, and a new life. 